0: Coming today on Negotiate Your Best Life with Rebecca Zung.
1: I think it's like Dorothy Dorothy with the ruby slippers. We, we have the power, we just never used it or felt we actually had it. You just have to click your ruby slippers three times and you could be home if you, if you want to.
0: So the big questions are these, how can we navigate and negotiate every situation in our lives, in our career, in our businesses, in our relationships, and even with ourselves for our own self-worth? In other words, what if you could win every time and have no losers? Welcome to another episode of Negotiate Your Best Life. I'm Rebecca Zung, and I have the chief troublemaker in the house. Uh, Shelly Zalas is a pioneer, not only for online research and a movement leader, but she is the champion, the leading expert on gender equality. She's an internationally renowned entrepreneur, mentor, speaker, and the founder and CEO of The Female Quotient. She has done incredible things. She has interviewed the top influencers and world leaders such as Katie Couric and Ariana Huffington and Reese Witherspoon and more. She authors a Forbes column. She is a firm believer in giving back with generosity. She's a mentor uh, to women and to girls in developing countries such as Rwanda. And she is absolutely an incredible game changer. And welcome, Shelly, I'm so excited to have you here. Oh,
1: my God. I mean, who wouldn't want to be on a program with you having an unplugged conversation about what it really takes to know your worth, know your value, and, and stand up for yourself. So thrilled to be here with you.
0: Ah. Thank you. So I want to hear a little bit about your journey because you know you and I are sitting here and yeah, people could go, well, it's great for two women who've accomplished things to have a conversation about a power switch because it's so easy for them, right? It is so not easy. And that's what I tell people all the time. I mean, it was a journey. It's a journey for, for, for me and I'm sure it was a journey for you. So I want to hear more about your journey.
1: Well, I also found it interesting that you talked about two women, you know, having this conversation and it might be easy, um, you know, or easier were two white women. And so, you well, know, I'm half
0: Chinese, but yeah, yeah.
1: Okay. But, you know, talk about women in general, you know, the, the disproportionate impact and then women of color um, in particular that also um, have to... I don't want to say fight even harder but it is about knowing your value and your worth and we all have equal value differently and so you know my journey has been a very lonely journey i was the only female ceo top 25 My entire career, I knew I thought different. I knew I acted different, but I was never in charge. And so I had to follow the rules that made no sense, which is how I inherited my chief troublemaker title. Um, I had to break all the rules and create new ones so that I could thrive in the workplace my way. Um, And so really sharing these stories is so incredibly important because, you know, it's sort of, I think it's like Dorothy, Dorothy with the ruby slippers, we we have the power. We just never used it or felt we actually had it. You just have to click your ruby slippers three times, and you could be home if you if you want to. But no one ever told us that we could. And so for me, I've been in the workplace over thirty five plus plus years. You know, quite some time. Um, and I was always told what I wasn't versus extolled. Or uh, respected for what I was. And because I had to follow legacy rules, and I always say the rules of the workplace were written over 100 years ago by men for men, they didn't work for me. I didn't fit in those shoes. I didn't want to walk in those shoes. A, they're ugly. They're they're probably more comfortable than high heels. But that's not who I am. But that's who I had to pretend to be. And when you pretend to be someone, you're actually not your authentic self consistently. And so, starting early in my career, my first review, I thought I was the perfect you know, employee in a research company, showed up to my review, you know, thought I was going to get a promotion and a raise and, and pat on the back, told I'm so fantastic. And instead it was a six page typed written review. We had typewriters at the time by my male boss that gave me two lines of nicety. I'm kind, I'm smart, you know, I'm a team player. But then the rest ripped me to shreds. I spend too much time with clients. I push my team out of their comfort zone. I, I say yes to clients and then expect everyone to drop everything and, and you know focus. And I remember at that moment thinking to myself, well, I'm supposed to sign and approve my review and agree, which is what I should have done. But my heart... Told me, but that's not true. I believe in relationships, and and how could they tell me I spend too much time with clients and that I push people out of their comfort zone? If we want to innovate, you can't stay in a status quo bucket. So what I did was I looked at him and I said, "You are so wrong." <laughs> I was 25 years old. I'm now 59. I said, "You are so wrong." I said, and this is probably the biggest mistake you've ever made in your life. And he looked at me and he goes, "Excuse me." I said relationships are so important in business. And that's when I coined the phrase, follow your heart. Heartbeat moments, ba-boom, ba-boom, ba-boom. Your head will tell you, justify, rationalize, accept what someone tells you, status quo, or follow your heart, right or wrong, but it will take you where you need to go. And then of course, I had tons of heartbeat moments, which ended up making me leave the workplace, start my own company to create my own rules because I wanted to be the boss and be in charge. And no longer be the exception, but become the new norm. And then I went on to sell my company. And then, you know, about seven years ago, I left the corporate world to give back with generosity what I wish I had rising the ranks. And I created the female quotient. So it's a long story A long journey, um, but a very exciting one, because at the end of the day, I can tell you with 1000% certainty, it is not in a textbook, or at least the textbooks about the workplace and workforce that have been written. It is about creating the new textbook of what it should be, what it could be, um, and how it can happen if you believe in yourself. You become the new norm. You write the rules so that everyone can thrive in the workplace, bringing their best self, their whole self, their true self to the table. And we move forward with positivity, proactivity, and not try to retrofit with legacy rules that do not work for all of us.
0: So beautiful. So many things are going through my mind as you're telling me this story. I mean, uh, and I, I mean, I my first book on negotiation was "Negotiate Like You Matter," and "Matter" is the actual methodology. And I had I asked Robert Shapiro for a testimonial, and he loved it so much that he asked to write the foreword. And I was like, okay, uh, but M. Stands for my value is defined by me. And I say all the time, you and you alone define your value, and people will think what you tell them to think. You know, you set the standard, right? And that's what you were doing when you were 25. But here's my question there's a lot of people out there that are like, I don't know how to do that. Mm -hmm. You know, I've been so paralyzed. I'm afraid of the consequences. I'm afraid that if I stand up to my boss, I'm going to get fired. And then what am I going to do? Or if I stand up to my husband or whoever it is in their world that is just, you know, traumatizing them and paralyzing them. So how do you, how do you take that first step?
1: So first of all, confidence is what it's really all about. And confidence starts at the age of five and you have to believe in yourself first. I mean, it's, it's what everyone says. If you're on an airplane and you need to put the oxygen mask on, you got to put it on yourself first before you can help others. So number one, it starts with you. You need to believe in yourself. You have to know who you are first and foremost. Number two, you have to be comfortable being you. Oscar Wilde says, be yourself because everyone else is taken. When we talk about diversity, gender, race, age, religion, intersectionality, LGBT, ability, disability, it's not just to have diversity um, and representation at the table. That creates diversity of thought. And diversity of thought really is about understanding that your differences are your greatest strength, not your weakness. We have been hiding our differences because everyone hires people like you that act like you, that look like you. But if you actually can show that your difference is a strength and that a team is a compilation of differences, which to me, differences value add. Our differences are our value add. Then we will start owning our differences instead of hiding them or making them invisible. So it starts with confidence. It starts with understanding that your difference is your greatest value and your greatest strength. Three, no one is perfect. None of us have it all or else we wouldn't need everyone else on a team. And number four, it's imposter syndrome. You know, we get back to the. That's imposter- what I was
0: just going to ask you about. So, how wow. do you get past that? Tell so t- talk go. more about that. I but, love that you brought that up.
1: But it's so true. And I just want to say it, imposter syndrome, that voice in your head, men and women have that voice in their head. Men just tend to ignore it and shut that voice up. They just forget about it. And women, we let that voice get louder and amplify to the point where we think, oh my God, I'm not good enough. I'm not talented. And we opt out or we shrink or we we try to be like everyone else. And so the way you eliminate the imposter syndrome is by realizing, A, it is not unique to you. Everyone has it. If there's 10 requirements for a job, if a guy can do six out of 10, he's like, "Yep." I got this, and he fakes it until he makes it. He 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 owns that confidence, and then fills those shoes, right? And surrounds himself with others that will make him successful. A woman, if we can't do ten out of ten, you know, that voice starts screaming at us, and we're like, oh my god, oh my god, I'm not qualified. We're plenty qualified. Own it. So. Shut My my girlfriend, Wendy Clark, says, and I don't know if I can say this word, but I'm going to say it because it's so perfect. She says, you got to shut that bitch up in your head. Just shut that bitch up and close it and say, I got this. Even if you have that insecurity and that uncomfortable, you're going to not only own it, but you're also going to modify it. So many people say that men are, are more decisive than women. No, men are not more decisive than women. Women are very decisive too. It's just men are very linear. The masculine, linear, decisive, analytic, aggressive, assertive. They think one step ahead. Yep, I got this. Women think 10 steps ahead, which is why we think we need to know how to do it all right? So we are equally decisive. It's just men make quicker decisions because they only think about the one step ahead. Women take five extra seconds because we think about the five steps ahead and then we act. So we pause, we reflect, we think about all the different nuances and then we go. So I think that the way you get rid of the imposter syndrome is it's a choice. It's intentional. You just have to shut that voice up. Ariana Huffington calls it an obnoxious roommate. You just got to get rid of the obnoxious roommate.
0: Uh And
1: so when you know you're not alone and you know it is not about women, it is a, a common theme, that insecurity, that we're not perfect. That's what you have to get rid of. And also say to yourself, Imperfection is the greatest perfection. There is no such thing as perfect. Perfect people aren't real. Real people aren't perfect. So, your imperfections are your greatest perfections. Stand up, stand out. Most importantly, stand together, support one another, and give everyone that encouragement. You are amazing. You are fantastic. Look in the mirror and say, I am an amazing communicator. I am an amazing collaborator. I am an amazing contextualizer. I am an amazing storyteller. I might not be the mathematician, but that's okay. I'm going to surround myself with all the other values that are needed to make a successful team. And then I, I am a 10 out of 10, right? So I think that that's just what you got to do. And it sounds so basic, But but it's so
0: true. It's like, once you start taking those steps, I know for me, like when I first started my own law practice years ago, I was like, Oh my God, what if I never get a client? What if, you know, and then I would get one client. Okay. I got a client, you know, and then it kind of, and then I got to a point where I had too many and it was just insane. Right. And, and so, but then, you know, my confidence started to build. Like, as you start to really see, okay, I'm taking this step, I'm doing it, you know, then your confidence starts to build because you go, well, look at me, I did it. Okay, I didn't die, didn't kill me, I'm still here. And actually, I probably got results that I wanted, and so that's how you start to combat that and you know it it's so i think typical for a lot of people to, to you think about like there if there's you speak to a hundred people and ninety-nine percent of the people said you were amazing and there was one person that said you sucked, you know, are you gonna sit there and think about the person that said that you sucked? You know? I mean that's because haters are gonna hate.
1: And you know, the truth is there's always gonna be that person that unfortunately is the insecure one, the jealous one, the one, no matter what you do, they're never gonna, you know, and that's where you also have to go from the me to the we. You know, you need to believe in you first so that you can give oxygen to so many more around you. But then you have to also believe in the power of we and the collective you know, of, of what makes success true
0: success. And yeah, the, because your you. people are going to be your people. And, you know, when I interviewed Bob Proctor, I actually, when I got stopped recording, he starts Coaching me, which was like the coolest thing. In some ways, I was like, oh man, I wish I was still recording because this is like such good stuff. And he was like, you know, coaching me on my business and asking how much I was charging, all these different things, you know. But then he was like, you know, you are, if you want to know where you stand vibrationally, look at the five people that you're closest to in the world. That's where you stand, and and you know I took that even further, and I've been talking about that on my own uh, social channels recently, and saying, you know, look at the people around you. Are they throwing logs on your fire? Are they like going, yeah, like, you know, you can do this, or are they like throwing water on your fire? Um, and if they're throwing water on your fire, then they have to get the hell out. And you know, that's got to be non-negotiable <laughs> for you. Coming up, more on Negotiate Your Best Life with Rebecca Zone.
1: So always know your value, know your worth, ask for it in a positive, not in a you're this, you're that, you didn't do this, you're not just Once you put someone on the defense, they are not going to come in in an embracing, nurturing, listening to want to help you grow and go to the next level.
0: When it comes to the safety of a child in a divorce case involving alcohol abuse, there is no compromise. Take back power, strength, and truth from the narcissist in your life with documented proof of sobriety. SoberLink's alcohol monitoring system is the most convenient, reliable, and reasonable way for a parent to provide evidence that they are not drinking when a child's safety is at risk. Soberlink's real-time alerts make it easy to negotiate with any party. Judges can rest assured that the child is safe. Attorneys get court-admissible evidence of sobriety, and both parents have empowerment and peace of mind. Get an exclusive $50 off your device by emailing info at soberlink.com and mentioning Negotiate Your Best Life podcast. Are you struggling with how to negotiate and win? Maybe you're dealing with a personality that's particularly challenging like a narcissist or other high-conflict personality, and you're feeling powerless. Make sure to download my free Win My Negotiation Cheat Sheet at www.WinMyNegotiation.com.
1: Take a listen to our archive where you can listen to more episodes that show you the path to how to negotiate your best life. My marriage fell apart. You know, I wasn't a great parent. The business was always up and down. I was looking at bankruptcy like nine months in and somehow got through it, but I was always on the bubble for like six years on the bubble of this business of almost losing it, keeping it around. Somehow it works out like payroll, rent, everything. And in that process, man, lost the marriage, lost all that. I was living in a 500 square foot studio apartment behind the house of one of my front desk or one of my trainer's girlfriends. Very weird, you know, power dynamic. At work, I'm the, I'm the boss, but at, at the house, like him and her, the boss, you know, and I mean? it was like, my kid slept on an air mattress next to my bed. It was a very different experience of life than I ever thought I'd be in. I didn't really like myself too much, man, to be honest. I wasn't a fan of, of Anthony, oddly. And now we return to today's show. Unless it's valuable. You know, I, I, I heard and learned something the other day, which is listen to hear, um, not listen to respond. And there are people, haters will hate, and they are just negativity surrounding yourself with negativity just negativity begets negativity but it is about positive proactive you know forward and that is how we learn so i say yes look at your network of the five around you but also bring five more around you that are different that do bring another dimension another perspective because that's our greatest growth and stretch and evolution moments as well. But it. it is about positive. It is about people believing in other people. It is about, you know, that support system helping everybody rise and go to that next level together. And so I think that you I know, every five that you surround yourself with, find five people that are not like you from another place. I'm calling it proximity ship. Spend five minutes with someone you don't know. And that is where I think you go from status quo to stretch to evolution to fringe. And you look back one day and say, wow, look how far I've come. Look how much I've learned. Look how much I've grown. Look how how much I've evolved. And that is about the people that you are surrounded by, but you also choose to surround yourself with.
0: Right, and 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 when you do that, and it's such great advice, and and when you do that, you will start to feel that power switch, but it's not going to happen externally first; it has to happen internally first.
1: Hundo P, as my best friend Esther says, Hundo P. Say it again. Hundo P. P.
0: 100%. Okay, so tell. Percent. Ah. Uh. I love that. I love it. I love it. Okay. Um, so talk about mindset now that we're we're talking about that. You know, I say eighty percent of a negotiation is one before you walk into a room, and we've talked about value, which I think is really, really important, but mindset is also like Completely critical. So, how do you prepare your mind when you're going into a tough negotiation, or you're having to have a difficult conversation with someone? How do you go there?
1: Uh, I always go with a yes mindset. So, I always say, "There's there's always a solution. You just have to find it." And um, the worst thing that could happen is you get a no. The best thing that could happen is you get a yes. But I always go into a meeting or into anything that I'm I want to negotiate knowing I'm going to leave with a yes and my yes it could be just setting up the next meeting so if I'm having a conversation and um I go in thinking what's my goal my goal is I need to have the the next meeting already in the calendar because trying to calendar is almost impossible so I don't leave the meeting without pulling out my phone and putting in the next meeting that could be a yes The yes could be introducing me to someone else or having them introducing them to someone else. That could be what the yes is. But I always go in knowing what I I need a yes for, closing a deal or whatever. When I was negotiating selling my company um, to, I had my research company, I'm the pioneer of online research. So if you've ever taken those surveys, those shitty surveys on the internet, sorry, not sorry, but I'm the mother of that invention. I sold my company to the third largest research company in the world, negotiated the sale, but then it came time for my salary. And so the lawyer, a female lawyer said to me, okay, Shelly, what kind of salary compensation do you want? Negotiation. I knew my value. I know my worth. I have the confidence to believe in myself. And I remember looking at her pre-everyone talking about how to ask for a raise and how to negotiate and all that. This is years ago. I looked at her and I said, well, I have three options. One, I can go into the marketplace and ask people what CEOs, you know, selling their company make and come back to you and tell you, I don't think you want me to do that. I said, or two, I could go within the company of 16,000 employees and start asking around what people make. I don't think you want me to do that. Or three, pay me the same. I'm not looking for more. I'm not looking for less. Pay me the same as the other 25 members of the board, of the company. I just want to be paid the same. And I put the responsibility on her, not on me. And she came back to me and she said, well, you now have the highest salary in the company, the highest equity package, and the highest um, bonus package. And I said, why? And she said, because everyone on the board had a different package. You know, a package is made of three ingredients for the most part. Some people had more of this and some of it, And you made me feel responsible for you. So I didn't know what to do. So I gave you just the best of that. I said, great, when someone gets a raise, let me know so I make sure <laughs> I'm still in line. And so that was a negotiation tactic. It's not in a textbook, but it was just what I did out of necessity, and also what I thought was the right political thing to do to hold the company responsible for equal pay for equal work, where everyone, whether you're a man or a woman, are paid the same at the same level. Now, there are ranges. And what I'm playing with now is that companies should be responsible for equal pay for equal work. It starts with measuring where where you are and where you want to go. And then I think there is a range for experience, you know, within the
0: yeah. So what you're talking about, I I actually break out in my book and when I talk is is internal value versus external value. So your internal value is whole and complete and infinite and 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 you're meant to be here and you are unique and 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 all of those things. But your external value in the world there's something you know that, that is somewhat measurable yeah. because it's based on experience, education, the types of companies you've worked for, the geographical area in which you work, and lots and lots and lots of other factors. Right? I love so- that.
1: Internal value, external value. So genius. Genius. Yeah.
0: Yeah. And so the other thing I want to point out about what the, the negotiation that you just demonstrated is um, you did two things that I talk about. One is that you ethically manipulated the situation through leverage. You basically said, okay, what's my leverage here? Uh, They don't want me to go and talk to all the employees. They don't want me to go and ask the board. They don't want me to do that. Uh, And I know that they do want me to work here. And I know that this is a value for them. So what's my leverage? So you're so good at it and you're such a master at this point that you don't even like pick that apart and go, oh, how can I have leverage? It's like second nature to you. Um, But that's what you were doing. And I want to demonstrate that so that people can see what you did in order to get where you wanted to go.
1: Leverage. Yeah, you're right. You just described it perfectly. I did not know that I was doing that, but I was, absolutely.
0: Yeah, you figured out what your leverage was and And you weren't afraid to put it forward, and you don't have to have emotion and I want to talk about that with you uh because you were talking earlier about gender differences, and that 's one of the biggest gender differences in negotiating w- between women and men, and that 's the emotion aspect of it. I mean, there could all, almost be a whole thing on the emotion quotient, frankly <laughs> um, and, you know the female quotient is also the emotion quotient in some ways because women and tend to take things personally. You know, if you don't give me what I want, then you you don't you know, what about all the things that I've done for you? And especially in divorce negotiations, you know, they'll be like I helped you through medical school or I raised your children or I did all these things. Men are so much better at compartmentalizing and looking at this is the the negotiation we're talking about right now. It has nothing to do with whether I like you or I don't. This is about money or it's about benefits or whatever it is that the conversation is about. Can you talk about that a little bit? Yeah, I can talk a lot about that, actually.
1: And actually, the female quotient name came exactly from the emotion quotient. So I say first came IQ, the intelligence quotient, then came EQ, the emotional quotient, now comes FQ, the female quotient. When you add more women to any equation... There's a return on equality. And when you look at the masculine, feminine, the masculine, not the male or female, but the masculine, because plenty of women have masculine qualities, plenty of men have feminine qualities, but the masculine, decisive, linear, aggressive, assertive, you know, which we talked about, the feminine, compassionate, passionate, emotional, um, emotive, resilient, you know, all of those things are, you know, the, the, the feminine. The feminine are the soft powers that have historically been invisible or um, no one talks about at all. We're bringing visibility because even with this in the pandemic, we see that the greatest qualities of leaders today and the countries that have been dealing with the pandemic the best, the fastest, the first in a nurturing way are countries run by women with empathy with compassion, with resilience, with passion. So all of those things, you know, matter a lot. And those are qualities of caregiving. And the oxymoron is we're losing our best leaders to caregiving. So we need to bring more visibility. And now when you actually Google leader, you will see words like empathy, compassion coming up as really important qualities of the greatest leaders today. So we need to bring more visibility to the invisible number one. Number two, my negotiation was with a female lawyer, which was also interesting because she had empathy. Three, we need a lexicon flip. We need to flip the lexicon. There's an amazing organization called Catalyst, which does something called bias correct. We take words that have historically been conceived as negative, turning them into positive. So men in general are, you know, afraid to show emotion because they feel it'll show a sign of weakness. But emotion, empathy is actually a strength. So if we start using that language to show empathy is strength, empathy is about listening. Empathy is about understanding people. We will start seeing men exhibit more empathy in leadership as well where it becomes a really important quality. And in resumes or in job descriptions, we start saying instead of we're looking for an aggressive, assertive leader that can deliver a great ROI return on investment, we're looking for an empathetic, compassionate leader that can deliver a great ROI return on investment, but also return on impact, where we focus more on the ESGs in life. This is where change will start happening. So empathy. I have been told my entire career... stop being too emotional. And when I joined a public board and they started talking about my employees and tears came down my eyes, I was pulled aside after the meeting saying, "Shelly, there's no room for emotion in the boardroom. Mm -hmm. Once again, I had two options. Agree. Or the next day, what did I do? I gave a speech to thousands. And what did my speech say? Bring emotion to the boardroom. And I talked about the importance and the power of empathy and compassion. And if you truly want to attract and retain the best team, you need to be empathetic and how important that quality is in life. So I don't care. You know, that is status quo is no room for emotion. Modern today is around empathy. And so if we keep apologizing for being empathetic, sorry, not sorry, I am owning that. And to me, that is one of my greatest virtues or my greatest values. And that's what we talked about. Showcase your value. Do not hide it. So I think that... I think
0: that it's- I, I think it 's important to have empathy, especially you know because the other person then will feel seen, heard, and valued, which is the way you have to go about a negotiation. But for people who are negotiating with narcissists or high conflict or toxic people who are you know just attacking 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 attacking, attacking, I think it 's important for them to actually remove like uh, the emotion, as far as not being triggered, not allowing the other person to trigger them. Um, and it, clearly, you're a master at that. I mean, to be able to have that empathy, that's like such a, a fine line to be able to have that empathy, but also not be triggered.
1: Well, I, I turn empathy to passion. And, you know, if you take a word that has a negative connotation, Connotation, emotion people see as a sign of weakness. I'm not too emotional. I'm passionate and that's what catalyst does with bias correct. I'm not an introvert. I'm just thoughtful. I'm not um, you know all these things I'm not bossy. you know how many times have we you've been told you're too aggressive, you're too bossy I'm not bossy. I'm the boss or I'm not bossy. I have executive
0: presence. If- I'm not greedy or asking for too much. I I'm, I'm worth it.
1: I'm, I'm valuable. And so I think that- Ooh, that's so
0: good. I just want everybody to sit with that just for a second and like listen to that because that is so good. Anytime I just want to like reframe this for the people who are listening or watching right now. Anytime you have a situation where you're the words in your head that it that idiot, the bitch, the whoever that's in your head that's saying, you know, things like I'm too greedy or I'm not worth it or I'm asking for too or I'm afraid of what's going to happen if I ask for what I'm worth, reframe it the way Shelly just demonstrated. That is so powerful. Love it.
1: Well, you know what you just did too, Rebecca? So I'm going to put this back on you. You are a contextualizer. And so what you just did was take what I said, you reframed so that it's tangible lessons learned with advice forward forward. So that it's a universal, all of us can embrace that and and make it our own, right? Which I think is really important. You're a contextualizer, you're a reframer, taking things that are complicated, making it simple. And when you talked about divorce and negotiation, you know, one of the things I also heard was marriage counseling. Most times when people go to marriage counseling, they talk about everything that's wrong. You know, everything they don't like about each other, which only makes you angrier, versus talking about the things that are right. Because nothing is perfect. There is no perfect, right? Everyone has flaws. But if you're going to hone in on the flaw versus the value, actually, that's good, the value over the flaw, then you start moving forward with the positive, right? And it's the same thing in negotiation, it's not talking about what it's not and what it can't be it's working on what it is so if you go in for a negotiation for a raise or a job title increase or whatever, a lot of times a lot of people go in they don 't really have why you know what their case is you know, and so the case has to be very tangible. you know I have brought in. X amount of new clients. I have deepened the relationship from someone that was, you know, neutral for the company to now uh, an ambassador and an influencer for the company. I have created unity in the team. There's a, even if they're not tangible financial results, there's always something to look at a return on your contribution, a return on value. So you should come in. I have done this. I've done this. And I've done, not what you haven't done or what someone else has done. Done. but what have you done? Who are you? Not just what your title is, but who are you in the organization? Are you a connector? Are you a happy officer, making people, you know, come in feeling positive? There's a real value of having that kind of team member on a team. So always know your value, know your worth, ask for it in a positive, not in a, you're this, you're that, you didn't do this, you're not just... Once you put someone on the defense, they are not going to come in in an embracing, nurturing, listening to, want to help you grow and go to the next level. So all those things matter a lot.
0: Yeah, oh, so good. That it was like an amazing way for us to end this. Um, honestly, it was like, because my last question for you was going to be, what's your best negotiation secret? And I think you just answered it, honestly. Um So where can people find out more about the female quotient? Let's talk about uh, your stuff and what you're up to so that people can learn more about it.
1: Thank you. The female quotient website, uh, at Shelly's Alice in social or at female quotient in social. Uh, We are launching Clubhouse, actually. I got to get you on Clubhouse on Wednesday. Uh, So in the Equality Lounge at uh, Clubhouse, we're going to be there. The club will be called Female Quotient. And... uh, we are hosting dinner parties in uh, over a hundred countries. We are uniting the world through the power of women in a hundred countries. So every Tuesday, Thursday, we have virtual dinner parties all over the world, bringing women together. As you said, Rebecca, women supporting other women, when you help other women, when you help other women When you help other women rise, we all shine, which is really what we're all about, power of the pack. Uh, So that's fantastic. And uh, we do pop-ups in real life, in virtual life, in audio life, all over the world, bringing conscious leaders together to
0: have these conversations of how do we close the equity gaps from parity policy pipeline. Mm, I love that. So go follow her, find her on Instagram, check out her website, show up at some of you know her, her events. It will only help you. And when we all support each other, we all rise, we all get to shine. So thank you so much, Shelly. This is incredible.
1: Well, you're incredible. So thank you for all that you do. And I can't wait
0: to do so much more together. Me too. Thanks for stopping by and listening to this episode of Negotiate Your Best Life. I'm Rebecca Zung. Check back next Monday for more inspirational pearls of wisdom. And if you enjoyed today's podcast, I'd love if you would give it a five-star rating and tell me what you liked in a review on iTunes. Also, be sure to grab your winning negotiation cheat sheet at winmynegotiation.com. And remember, today is a perfect day to start negotiating your best life.